Welcome to Almost Live, a podcast from before podcasting existed, where real life is stranger than fiction. I'm your host, Aphrodite. Welcome to Almost Live, a podcast from before podcasting existed, where real life is stranger than fiction. I'm your host, Aphrodite. Welcome to episode 14, A Wake-Up Call. Well, this is why I haven't released an episode in a couple weeks. Thanks for your patience. The generic warning here would be that this episode contains contents which, while not explicit or offensive, may distress some listeners. Discretion is advised. More formally, this is your content warning regarding domestic violence, domestic abuse, childhood trauma, and PTSD. Fortunately, none of the discussed traumas are sexual, but I'm not taking any chances in this trigger warning. If you want to skip this episode, I totally understand. I'll still be here. Of all the topics I was hoping to talk about in this podcast, I never thought this particular topic would come up as, while I do discuss that which I have lived through, I didn't think domestic violence and domestic abuse would be on that list. And yes, I do have an ask in this podcast. Link is in the description, and I genuinely wish I didn't have to make this ask. Short version. I was verbally, physically, psychologically, and financially abused. This was so extreme, I ended up in hospital, and I'm recording this from a secure secret location. I need help rebuilding my life after this. I have a GoFundMe set up. Contributions to help me reset after this epic personal disaster would be deeply appreciated. I've mentioned before in the podcast that I have an extensive trauma history and an extensive mental health history. I'm fortunate to be in a place mentally where these issues aren't hindrances in my day-to-day life except for the finding a day job thing. What I did not expect was that I would be a victim of domestic abuse and domestic violence. My objective is to cut out those abusers from my life, and toward that end, I am choosing to refer to them as O and P. These are not their initials. I am also choosing to use the pronoun they for them to further obfuscate their identities. Please do not seek them out or give them grief. Being removed from my life should be painful enough an experience for them. Six years ago, I met O through a friend. I was new up here, fresh to Vancouver. I was rooming with friends actual friends that were pre-existing, and we split a decent-sized, if oversized, flat. Housing is sometimes hard to get and expensive here, and since I moved here without a job lined up or anything, I was trying to establish some local connections. O lived in a small place, but they seemed okay even if struggling. They barely made ends meet. Importantly, though, I recognize signs of some of the mental health and trauma challenges I have lived with. Misery, as they say, loves company, and I befriended this person in hopes of helping them avoid some of the really dark mental places I've lived through for far too many years. In retrospect, this was my first mistake. I did not recognize that at the time. I thought I made a new friend, and I had someone I could hang out with, commiserate over some shared interests like anime. I'm a weeb. I have been since before. It was cool. The theme of my life, I suppose, is how I seem to have the worst timing in everything. I got to know O over the years as much as they would share. O has mental health challenges, as I identified earlier, that had enough overlap with mine that I knew what they were going through. They had issues with abuse, and again, there were enough notes in the song of their life as they presented it to me that I heard similarities to the music that makes up mine. I started to help them out with things. The whole time, O told me they didn't want to feel like they owed me. Thing is, I don't hold ledgers with my friends. I do have a few resources available to me, and I did have decent employment since moving up here, after leaving a rock-solid job stateside for ethical reasons. Importantly, I had more resources than O did, and I had no qualms about sharing them. My friend wants food. If I'm hungry, I'll buy food for us both. My friend wants a drink. If I can swing it, I buy some beer, even though I really don't like to drink. I introduced O to some people I know, 
and all of them feel discomfort in O's presence. None is able or willing to tell me what's up. They just tell me something gives them a weird vibe. I didn't know what to make of this in part because I do have other friends that may have been foolish at times and some gave weird vibes. But some of the people I know who allegedly didn't give those vibes were hiding dark secrets the whole time. It's a vulnerability in me. I genuinely give people a chance. O tells me about their family life and their history. O's parent and oldest siblings seem to have slid down some kind of a pipeline based on their radically unfriendly and harsh demeanors. And their seemingly sudden shifts into politics. O then tells me they are trying to rescue their other sibling, P, from their parent. Based on the description of P's situation and a few chats I had with P, showing me someone who was living a life filled with the pain I knew firsthand, I wanted help as best I could. Foolish me. I lived with a roommate for a few years, and they met O. They didn't seem to have much of a problem with O. In 2020, just before the crisis of COVID hits full bore, my roommate and I talk and are willing to have O live in our apartment. It looked like a win-win-win. Our rental amounts would all go down. The apartment was large enough that we each had a lot of personal space, and we could theoretically cook shared meals that would make our costs go down more. Then COVID. O was working, but was laid off at exactly the right time to fully qualify for Canadian federal supports. Get on them. Their money is solid. On the other hand, I was back in school for my second degree, and remote education is challenging for me. While I did complete that term with reasonably good grades, all things considered, I needed to find work. I'm struggling with money at this point, and I am still making my rent and paying my bills mostly, but I'm also not getting much help from O. In June 2020, I rented a car after O asked me if I could help get P out from under their abuse and parents' heel. I have a driver's license. They don't. I drove. I met their parent face-to-face, and the parent gives me some extremely uncomfortable vibes. The impression I've been given by O and P is scarily accurate. P is reticent about leaving, which I could recognize as a sign of abuse. We compromise and offer to take them on a two-week trip. The parent enters a flying rage when we attempt to quietly leave. The parent threatens to call police, and upon that threat, I drove to the nearest police station to show that, no, P was not kidnapped. P chose to go with their sibling O on a short trip. That trip went well. P seemed to even open up from the helpless and frightened person they were when I met them. A year later, P finally gets the nerve to ask if they can move in. O works out the logistics of moving them with the core of their life and their pet, which was being used as an anchor. All this time, I'm trying to gently help these people escape a bad situation. I don't realize I'm being used. I even allow P to stay with us for an obscenely low amount each month. I bite the bullet and pay the lion's share of the housing costs, despite getting the smallest space. P was rebuilding their life. I didn't want to be an excess burden as part of the abuse P suffered was financial abuse. I still make foolish mistakes that compound and snowball because I really, really am trying to help these people that seem to be stuck in ruts I got out of. When I order in, I make sure there's enough for them or that I get their orders. In retrospect, I realize that they rarely offered me that courtesy. When they need medical care, be it medicines or doctor visits, I'm the one that drives them there or guides them how to get care or goes to pick up their meds. They don't offer to come with me to my doctor visits. When I ask one of them to turn off a fan so I can record audio, they do so only after a lot of reluctance. When they ask me to turn down audio, I wear closed-back headphones and turn down the sound. All these little things. I should have seen this, but I couldn't. 
One of the downsides of being an insider is that insiders are often willing to put up with a lot of stuff. The one part of my life that I can't really be an outsider of is, well, my actual life. I am terrific with others' books, but my accounts look like crap. I can clean up others' places, no problem, but my home is untidy. Not dirty or filthy, I just leave stuff around, but I don't leave, say, dishes or food lying everywhere. Things escalated this year. In July, I have a biannual commitment in New York City. I may not have been doing the greatest, but I need to be physically present in that place during this event. I offered to take O&P with me to the city as they'd never been there. Granted, it was tight financially, but they both decided to come with me. O loved the city. P hated every moment of the trip. I thought things were going well, even if my credit card balances were starting to scream. In October, I had a rapid improvement in my mental health, which frankly is one of the best things I've ever experienced. At the end of the first week of this improvement, ONP both comment that they feel uncomfortable around me and think something is wrong, possibly mania. When they say I should get checked out, I agree with them. They are totally shocked by that response. When I say I should get checked out by functionally mental health urgent care right now, they're totally befuddled. Wait, why did you say that? Well, I think I'm okay, but you don't. I can't argue against that. You might be right. I want to know. There's nothing stopping me from going, so why should I not go? But I wanted the argument. I don't. You're my friend. I don't want to argue with my friend. This, by the way, was another warning I missed. I get checked out. Mania is a legit concern, except behaviors I exhibit don't fit neatly under that diagnosis. I have no desire to inflict pain on others or self. My passive suicidality is completely gone. Sure, I'm taking a few new risks, but going to an open mic or restarting a podcast or even talking to people, those are normal risks in life, nothing unusual or dangerous. More importantly, I'm actually doing things rather than being terrified into not doing anything. I know full well I could be wrong, which I admit, and even say that if I am wrong, I want to know about it. These doesn't sound like mania, at least not to the DSM-5. Neither does the fact that I wasn't in a non-stop heightened mood. I felt sadness and disappointed, but I could also handle them and not be stuck in them. They discharged me and follow up. A psychologist who saw me previously said that Basically, there was nothing wrong with me that they could really identify, but they were willing to offer a mood stabilizer if I wanted it. I said I didn't think I needed it, though I would talk to my GP when I saw her in the next couple weeks. O&P agreed with my judgment. P is showing distress again. Their partner, whom I helped move and for whom I helped restore critical documents the year prior, was in a bad way and P wanted to see them in person. I said I would drive to the Bay Area where they were because I could do so. I had no other obligations that kept me from doing so. And while it would be painful, I could afford it. They were shocked until we loaded up my car the Monday before American Thanksgiving and rolled the 1,600 kilometers or 1,000 miles to reunite P and their partner. I even bought P and O new shoes so they could walk more easily as the shoes they had were in atrocious shape and were actively harming their feet. They both said that these were the most comfortable shoes they'd ever walked in. But suddenly I'm experiencing flashbacks. This part is going to get rough because I don't know how to describe these experiences otherwise. I have several flavors of trauma disorders. Flashbacks have been an infrequent problem through my life, but when they hit, they used to hit extremely hard. Fortunately, I can handle them, even if they last a long time. 
I know that the feeling of time freezing and this moment being forever is not true, and I can work my way through that. When I close my eyes to sleep, I'm on the verge of flashbacks, and I experience several over the course of a week, which makes my sleep almost non-existent. I'm drained, and I don't know why I'm experiencing these flashbacks. Last week, the first thing that happened was that O triggered a massive flashback. I couldn't identify why at the time. I had enough warning that I could lay down and ride it out. I call my romantic partner to talk to someone I care for to help me ride through the aftershock, maybe figure out what's going on, because it was not the first time the actions of O triggered a flashback. I finally start to understand that O and P are causing the flashback somehow, even if I can't identify why. I talk to O and P and ask if they want to continue living with me. P assaults me. They push their hand in anger into my chest and it hurts. It hurts. I don't respond because I'm in shock. While I have my partner on the phone, O comes into my room. They are upset that I'm speaking with my partner. My partner interjects a few things. Wait, can you let Aphrodite speak? I try to speak. O speaks over me. My partner then says, hold on. Why won't you let her speak? That's a sign of abuse. O freaks out and leaves. I'm in a panicked state. The A word describing my situation didn't cross my mind until then. My partner then talks a little more to me to help me calm down. Then O returns. O suggests that I should perhaps consider taking that medication. My partner speaks up for me. You're trying to rewrite history. You said before you didn't think she needed that medication. Now you do? That's gaslighting. O gets extremely angry. My partner is trying to advocate for me over the phone, but I still am not allowed to speak by O. O takes my phone and throws it into the wall. Fortunately, my phone is well protected. I take this as an attack on my partner, and I am upset. As I stand up and attempt to engage to find out what's going on, I instantly get hit by a horrific flashback. No warning. I fall hard onto the concrete floor. I land on my elbow, my knee, my back, my head. I can't move. I'm in nightmarish pain. I scream in agony that others can't see. The only imagery in my head at this point was this was related to a horrific betrayal of trust when I was young. For 15 minutes, I'm experiencing horror. Intellectually, I know what's going on, but that doesn't help me when my body is also physically injured. O and P don't make a move to help me. They sit back away from me and do nothing to help me. It finally dawns on me that they don't care about me as anything more than a genie that makes their wishes come true. I struggle to get an arm up, a leg up, so that I can shift to my bed and get the help I need. O&P do call an ambulance, as well as police, because they tell the police I am a threat to myself or others. By the time the police officer arrives, I've been completely dejected because I thought I was to blame. I even wrote P a letter by hand to apologize for making her angry. It took about three hours to get an ambulance to my place and another hour to get me out of there because of fears that I had broken an arm or had a head injury. I was in excruciating pain and feeling powerless, feeling dejected, unsure what happened, why I was there. It took me another 12 hours after that to finally say that this felt like abuse. And it clicked that that's what happened. And I'm scared because I know how it looks. It looks like I was the one that was doing bad stuff. The sad thing is that abuse in general requires everyone to be involved in it. Which means that the victims are often afraid to come out since the abusers can make claims that the victims did things to the abusers. 
This is why Darvo is such an effective technique to shunt blame, especially the reverse victim and offender part. Victims are afraid of being accused. Abusers exploit that fear to keep the abused under control. Thing is, I could have not spent money or not invited O to move in or rescued P or one of a hundred other things. I'm not trying to shunt the fault I have in this. I am trying to just pick up the pieces afterward. Rebuilding a shattered life is brutally hard work, and I know that I will miss fragments and some of the shards will be too sharp to handle for a while. And that's why I'm asking for help. I feel so awkward asking for help that I need to reset my life and get ONP out of it. It's nothing anyone ever wants or, or needs, wants to need to do. Sorry. At the same time, I feel so disappointed that my kindness and generosity was so abused by people that cared nothing for me while pretending to be my friends. GoFundMe is admittedly a long shot, but right now, since I am still looking for work and I need help to reset things and get my abusers out of my life, I'm hopeful that people will help me become physically safe as they've been helping me be physically safe. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a fantastic festive season and an amazing new year.